Coming to you from the greatest city in the world, this is the number one showbiz podcast. It's Talk for Two. Here's your host, Matt Bailey. Thank you so much, Gary. That's our announcer, Mr. Gary Owen, who I actually just had a chance to interview in person out in California about America's Got Talent winner Darcy Lynn, as well as his own career. Uh, You know as well as I do that this show started in ventriloquism, and while we are worlds away from that today, it is still kind of at the heart of our being and and our infancy. And so anytime we get to go out to California to that CAX conference, this one was really special because not only do we hear Gary's voice every week, it's really cool to see that he helped bring somebody like Darcy to superstardom. So I just wanted to give him a quick shout out because we're not doing anything vent related today. And if you're coming here because you're a music fan, because we have Dan Tominski today, uh, I apologize for that little tangent, but I just want to give that shout out. And as always, I want to thank our season sponsors, Tell Expressions, and the Tangent Bound Network. Find fantastic podcasts at tangentboundnetwork.com, and all your entertainment needs are at axtel.com, who not coincidentally is part of that CAX conference. And as I mentioned, today we welcome back one of my favorite musical artists of all time and one of my favorite people on the planet, Dan Tominski, known as the male lead to Alison Krauss and Union Station. By that, I mean male lead vocals. Now, he has exploded onto the music scene once again with a new solo offering, Southern Gothic. High off the success of the electronic hit Hey Brother, which was produced by Avicii, Tominski realized he was onto something when the twang of bluegrass meets the whiz kid mastery of EDM. For those of you that don't know the story of how Avicii called him and said, hey, I want you to do the vocals, and he texted his daughter, and she was like, do it, do you know who Avicii is? Oh my God, don't pass this up. We have that story because we had Dan on a couple years ago. He was coming around the area, and we did this to promote a tour stop. It's a really, really cool cool story because he was originally known for more authentic bluegrass music. You might know that in addition to his work with Alison Krauss, Tominski provided George Clooney's singing voice in the Coen Brothers film, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And he also released a few of his own bluegrass solo albums, the most recent of which I believe, and uh, you music rep people, please correct me if I'm wrong, is Wheels in 2008. That's what I could find. Now, this embrace of technology is serving what I think as a magnetic entry, and it really is catapulting Dan's career to new heights. This singular album and the branding of this style and his backing band as simply Tominsky, they dropped Dan, has seen him play on Good Morning America and The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, both national television debuts for Dan by himself. But the story of how Southern Gothic came to be is incredible and a testament to the fact that there are still suits in the music business that believe in creativity. To hear for yourself, click the link below to the title track's official music video on YouTube and visit TominskiMusic.com. That's T-Y-M-I-N-S-K-I music.com. Here now to tell us how Southern Gothic is carving out its own genre, our interview with Dan Well, first of all, welcome back to the show. How are you? Oh, gosh, I'm doing well. Thank you so much. This is a real treat because, I mean, would it be too bombastic to call this Southern Gothic the album of your career? It's amazing. Well, you know, it, it, I, I have to say I've never been, you know, I've never felt about a, a about a piece of or a body of work, let's call it. Um, I've never felt so closely connected to uh, to any of the music that I've made as I do this. Yeah, this is this is special to me in a, in a different way than, than anything else has been just in the, in the, that I've, I got to be a part of its creation. So it's, 
it's uh, it's like you know it's like they're all my babies you know all the songs is wonderful how much of an influence was the project with Avicii, which we talked about last time you were on, um, how much of an influence was that, uh, Hey Brother, and then how long did it take you to get to the point to say, I want to do an entire album of this type of music? You know, it's, it's not anything that I ever said. You know, even right up until it was it was time to do this this album, Southern God, I mean, I never I never had any any vision that I wanted to do something in this direction. This was kind of born out of just trying to write music that was different. I mean, when I wrote the bulk of this record, including Southern Gothic, it was, I had no intention of, you know, of singing it myself. Um, I of course wanted to after, you know, I, I remember driving home the day we wrote Southern Gothic and being completely jealous for it and kind of saddened that I had to uh, give it away. But, um, you know, it's, it, as it turned out, you know, I got to do this stuff. So, so you know, it was kind of born kind of on its own. But now what, what the Avicii thing did for me that, that I don't think I could have, could have found any other way was it got a lot of people to hear my voice in a, in a completely different context. And the writers that I were writing with, you know, they wanted to write different stuff. You know, a lot of them said right up front, you know, let's do something, you know, uh, for Avicii or like something like that. And I always kind of went against the grain of that and said, well, as long as we do something, you know, unique and different, it doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be anything. But what that Avicii thing did was give me courage to step outside of the box that I would have never had, you know, had had I not seen how, how natural that ended up, you know, feeling, considering how far left of center it was. Have you always been a fan of music that had electronic things intoned in it? I know that, that you kind of raised an eyebrow when Avicii said, that he wanted you, and then your daughter, you know, we talked about that story last time, but as a music fan, have you always listened to um, the middle ground of electronic music? You know, as a music fan, I'm, I'm kind of in a weird weird boat where I, I just never listen to a lot of anything. I mean, drum, all of my music influence, I mean, when I say all of, I'll say 98, 99%. Of, of my music influence growing up was all live music. It was going, watching people play and then going home and try to remember what I saw or figure it out on my own. Um, I never really had it. I mean, my music collection consists of, I mean, I can count every uh, every record I've ever purchased on one hand. And I don't need all my digits to do that. I think it's, I think in a lifetime, I think I've bought four pieces of music. Two of them, I was very young. Two of them were Christmas albums. I was getting ready to drive to Vermont. I bought two Christmas albums to get the spirit. It's never been a big thing for me. Like, I love, I, I honestly, music is in my head 24-7. I love all types of music. When I hear, I really don't draw a line between um, bluegrass country or electronic or or, or, you know, opera or classical or any of the, you know, all the, the different jazzes and blues and deltas and soul music. There's, it's all, there's good and bad in all of it. You know, I, I love, I mean, I love everything that's, that, that's, that speaks to me, you know, everything that's, you know, sounds, and that I think covers all the genres of music. I think this, this album just kind of, kind of testifies to that, that there's room for all the genres. And in this case, you know, a lot of them get to be in, you know, in, in one project. It's it's amazing and it is addictively listen listenable. I mean, I'm not trying to rave here, but I could not like this is I don't I don't get bombastic without <laughs> without it warranting. But when when they sent me the copy of it, I couldn't stop listening to it. It's it's so listenable and no offense to to bluegrass at all, which I love and, and adore, and really you're one of my favorite voices in bluegrass. 
it is so listenable in a way that that traditional bluegrass isn't if that makes sense to you as an as an artist it's bluegrass is obviously listenable but there's there's a beat to this 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 kind of gets under your skin a little bit more you know what i mean it's interesting because I don't find myself like I, it's it's really hard for me. Like I don't listen to a lot of music, any recorded music. But of course, you know when you're in the process of making music, you have to listen to it. Or if you write songs, you have to listen back to them to critique them. To you know, this was uh, I, I'll for for whatever it's worth or whatever this means. I I found the same thing. Like the songs, uh, this was I've never willingly you know put my own stuff on repeat and, and actually wanted to hear it like it's uh, uh, I, I do think it is really listenable. I, I appreciate you saying that and it and it's it's important to me because that's one of the things that, that helped me have the confidence to, to make this, you know, to make this project, you know, about to do this, you know, basically to do this project was that we had that we would want to, you know, go back and hear. You know, no one wants uh, a one time sounds good, let's forget it type of record and I think this one carried that type of weight for me emotionally. And uh, I love hearing that that anyone would would want to, you know, repeat listen. That's awesome, awesome. It, it's great. And what I love seeing is that you've done the Colbert Show, you've done Good Morning America, you're doing all of this TV that, as I've read, and please correct me if I'm wrong, has never been what you've gotten to do as a solo artist. And you did an NPR interview where they said, you know, how do you package this weird middle of the road, mainstreaming bluegrass with EDM and, and all of this? And it's the marketing people and you've been rebranded. Your first name has been dropped from the marketing. I mean, what has this whirlwind been like for you? Are you surprised at the attention the album and, and this tour is getting? I'm I'm excited for the potential of what this this is at this point. I mean, you know, the tour thus far, you know, we've I've played now maybe four or five shows. So, uh, us as a band playing together, it's really you know we're 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 finding ourselves. But the energy that I think the show carries will will really suit like big audiences. I think it's I think it's really a type of thing that that will that will continue. I hope will continue to snowball. And you know, we've done some shows, some bigger than others. I know you know we we did. Uh, a theater in New York, mm-hmm. where again I felt like fill the room with music. We just didn't fill it with people, and I think that's that's what I really look forward to down the road. Is is I think this is something that's so important to me. I want people to hear this. No, it was you know since you said it, I was surprised. That's where you and I met, and that's where I saw this show. I was surprised. First of all, you come out. There's no introduction. You have to plug your guitar in, and all of a sudden you say, "Let's hear some music," and it just hits you, and it's like. Why isn't this in over in the Beacon or over even at, at Radio City or the Garden? It's just this full sounding beautiful thing. But I'm interested to know all of the TV appearances that you've been doing. What has that been like? Because I understand that th- that has kind of been your debut as a solo artist on those major national. At least that's how Colbert introduced you. Yeah, it's the first time for me. I mean, I, it's it's weird to be a. Uh, uh you know, a newcomer, you know, that has been doing this for, for three decades. So it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, these shows are shows that I've done before, you know, with, with Allison and Union Station. And mm-hmm. it's really, it, it's always exciting to get to do them, you know, and, but it is mind blowing when it's your name, you know, in the front, like that's, that's something I, I remember standing there at, at both of those shows and, and just it's it's it really is it's a it's a thrill and it's and it's, it makes you nervous and it's kind of scary, but I've done this long enough to just I stood there and I just really appreciated what an opportunity it was to be able to get to do shows like that and 
and have it be this music. I'm just, I, I just feel like just a lucky dude. It's awesome. Now, I know that Gramercy, which is where I saw you, has a limit of one hour um, for their shows. And I think that's why you kept commenting about different things on the set list, like, let's cut that, let's do this. It was really cool and really informal. Is is there a longer show that you guys do with it? Do you do the full album? Do we maybe get to hear um, Man of Constant Sorrow? Do you th- Have you figured out how to throw in... The question is, have you figured out how to throw in the more traditional bluegrass stuff that, that is still your name? I mean, I as a Dan Tominsky fan, I would love to see a concert where everything's included, including the, the stuff from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? So have you figured that out yet, or is that a process? Is this all still so new to you? What has that been like? A little of both. We've done, you know, the longer shows. We've done, we did uh, a couple of 90-minute shows um, before the Gramercy, which did include the whole album. You know, we, we had... Uh, we, we do play the entire album. Um, we play Hey Brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, we play Man of Constant Sorrow. We play uh, a couple things from, you know, the, from Allison Union Station. You know, we cover the Almond Brothers song. We do. It's, I, was, I was actually surprised we had 90, because I was really adamant early on that we really kept the show to 45 minutes. I really wanted to play kind of the, the heart and the meat of the, of the record and really not... Um, play Man of Constant Sorrow or Hey Brother, and then as it got closer to actually having to do it, I don't think there's any way not to honor songs that have been that big in my career, and, and the thought of, you know, people that may come out and expect those, you know, I don't want to, I wouldn't want to let anyone down in that way. You know, that being said, we're trying to draw such a different line to where some of the venues, I mean, already that I've played, I would I would have filled had it been myself and the guitar or and me and my bluegrass band. But because it was Kaminsky and the and different stuff, you know, we I found shows where, you know, it's it's interesting to see people not know what to expect. That being said, I I, I, I really see good things for for the band and for the tour this year. We have some awesome stuff coming up, so it's it's going to be it's going to be really fun to watch uh, to watch some crowds react. I really hope. I know it came out around right around after the nominations or right before. I don't know if it qualified for this year or next, but. Dare I say the G word? I mean, it's that good. Grammy. I don't know <laughs> well, if it qualifies no, what year, but really, it should. It, it well, should. I think we, I think we held off so we would have a year to hopefully build some momentum, you know, in, in case it were in case it were looked at in that way. I mean, I know that's uh, their, their the the label and the management and people like that. They they try to coordinate everything. I know, like I was, I'm, you know, I got so caught up in just being thrilled they were doing it. I could have cared less whether it was this year, next year, no year. Just you know, I got a chance to do the record. That's the that was the big thing. But I, I you know, it'll all be hopefully come to a head next year. It would be wonderful to think uh, if we can get a little momentum and perhaps a performance. That would be my dream. That yeah, that's really cool. I mean, you got what fourteen already. I mean, and to have this one, this would be really cool. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm just obsessed with this type of music, but I really. I, as a fan and as somebody who cares about your career, having interviewed you and everything, I I want to see this succeed for you because it is so special and it is so different. How did you get connected with Mercury Records? I know that you were with Rounder because of Allison Krauss, and then she went to Capitol for one record. I don't know, plan, you know, label Hopscotch, but how did you and Mercury connect? Well, you know, it was it was really through my my publishing deal that I got, you know, I, I signed a publishing deal with uh, with Barry Coburn at 1010 Publishing. 
and I started writing different songs and they started going to all the, you know, the, the song pluggers plug, you know, to your music, to all the different people. So it goes through a lot of desks, you know, a lot of different label people. And um, it, it, my music ultimately found its way to the desk of, of uh, a couple of people at Universal um, that very, you know, very, my publisher was friends with and they, you know, and they talked and they said, well, we love this, you know, we, we love this stuff. We would, we would love the chance, you know, to, to do something, you know, with these songs because we think they're great songs, but like, they all sound like Dan. Would Dan be interested in doing a record? So when this came back to me, like this wasn't something that I set out to do. It was, I, I found myself with a bunch of music that I, that, you know, that uh, Universal had uh, interest in. And of course, Mercury being a division of Universal, made sense that we did you know it's uh we have we have uh some old ties with mercury back from you know old brother Warthow. so it's uh made perfect sense that uh mercury universal was was the, the label and i was just you know again thrilled thrilled for the opportunity gosh just to just to get to do it that's really really cool i want to talk about southern gothic the song the 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 song okay. because it took me a couple of listens to really hear the lyrics because you get into the music. And then when I heard the lyrics, it hit me like a, you know, like a ton of bricks, as the saying goes. You're from Vermont. I'm not, I'm from a little further south, but not too crazy. Still northeast New England. I'm from a, a town in the eastern part of Pennsylvania that actually kind of feels more like a, a southern rural type community than it really kind of has in common with Jersey or New York. And I found that the, this idea of Southern Gothic really applies to middle America, East coast, anywhere where there's a small town or rural life. So I have been very curious what that inspiration was for you being from the Northeast uh, and what Southern Gothic as a concept means to you and, and what inspired that song. So you know this that the the day we wrote that song is is become one of my favorite days. Um, wrote with Josh Keir and Jesse Frazier, mm-hmm. um, and we wrote. We started I think at eleven o'clock in the morning. We wrote from eleven till maybe one thirty in the afternoon, and at one thirty we decided to evaluate. Let's see where we are with this song. Do we love it? Do we hate it? Are we wasting our time? What's going on? We all took an honest look at what we had worked on for the two and a half hours and decided it was better to just, you know, push it aside and go home. Or even, like, we could finish it for the sake of finishing, and it was just going to be that. So we were about to go, and Jesse Grazier said, you guys want to hear one more groove before we go? And he goes to his computer, and he plays what now is, you know, was what then was just the bones of Southern Gothic, that weird... And it just had a very interesting, dark kind of creepy feel to it and i remember we listened to it and i said you know like ah, you know it's 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 high and cool really dark you know kind of kind of gothic and um i think it was jesse that said well um if dan no so it was i think because he said it to josh josh said the word gothic i said it's like vibey and dark and creepy and it, and it was josh Kirby said yeah it kind of feels like it's kind of gothic and then jesse said well if dan's going to sing it it has to be Southern Gothic. So at the thought of Southern Gothic, just had a just it just felt like it just it was, it was a beautiful sounding at that time only just kind of a, a title or maybe we didn't know we just but we all did the same thing we all Googled Southern Gothic and realized you know that there was 
so much that fell under the heading of Southern Gothic and that it covered. There was, I mean, it, it, there was so much under its umbrella that we had so much to write about that we really got to paint a picture that I think you 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 hit the nail on the head when you said does apply to anywhere. It, it is not a specific southern part of the U.S. It it applies to to every small town that you that you could uh, that you could imagine yourself in. So yeah, the the, w- the way that song was born. It started as just, you know, kind of a pun on words, or it was, you know, a playful joke that, you know, it's going to be Southern Gothic. So now at 1.30, we decided to start writing. It went from 1.30 to 4.30. We wrote, um, recorded, sang. Everything you hear on the record, on the title song, Southern Gothic, was, was created and written and recorded and produced everything done. 1.30 to 4.30 on that afternoon. That is the crazy. only thing we did with that we sent that song to get it, you know, we let the man mix it, we let Zook mix it, but the song was completed in its entirety in three hours. That was including writing it. It was, uh, it was one of those songs that just came like a gift. It was the first song I remember driving home that I was so just like completely jealous for, wished I could do it, but had to sign off on it because I had a pub deal and I was just so happy to have a song that I thought, you know, like I knew that one would get taken. Never expected it would get taken by me. So, big thrill for me. That is so cool. So when Mercury offered you the record deal, they just... So was that basically a demo that you sent out, or how did that work? Because if you were afraid, it still... That was a demo. Southern Gothic. Okay, I think Southern Gothic, uh, Perfect Poison, mm-hmm. um, and a couple others. I mean, there's there there are four, I think, three or four songs on that record that are literally the demos. Wow. The demo vocal, the demo, the demo vocal, the demo, every just we just literally had a mix. I mean, they 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 carried the message and the emotion and everything that I mean we could have recorded them again, but we felt no need. You know, the demos were were, were built with with complete passion and honesty, and that's we just the stuff that worked. We let it we let it lie. That is that's amazing. And then Bloodline feels a little autobiographical. Uh, can you talk about that? <laughs> what? Bloodline was a song that we wrote, um, and when I say we, uh, Jesse, and I think that was uh, Carrie. Uh, Carrie was in another, Carrie Barlow. And um, we were just talking about what we had in common. It was interesting. We all kind of grew up the same way. And it's uh, funny. I know that I'm a guy from, from Vermont, but good Southern singing was my upbringing. I mean, that's never been a truer line. I mean, that one's that one. I, I believe I started that one off because we chased – and for my early days, you know, bluegrass music, and we loved to hear whenever we could hear Ralph Stanley or Bill Monroe or, or any of the, I mean, there are a lot of Southern bluegrass bands from obscure ones like the Bluegrass Cardinals and Lost and Found to, you know, from the whole gamut. So we always tried to, for me, it was a big thing to get those. So good Southern singing was all my, and when I say all my daddy did, I really meant my mother because my mother was, you know, the, the singer. I said he would close his eyes when he would harmonize and he'd sing a song. Well, that was what my mother did. When she would hit the high note, she would close her eyes, tip her head back, and just belt it out. So it was, there's a lot of truth. It's, it's funny. I'm almost emotional about it because it's so much my childhood. I went to every smoky bar that you could imagine from when I was like five and six years old until, you know, I was I was old enough to stay home and not, you know, it was just ridiculous. That's, that's awesome. Now, you know, we're already at 20 minutes and I could go on, I could go line by line in this album, not even song by song, but line by line and ask you, what does this mean? What does this mean? But 
I just want to I want to kind of open the floor to you and say of the 14 13 14 tracks on the album is there a song that you just other than Southern Gothic because that's crazy that story that you just love the story behind how it was written or how it came about in the studio is there something you want to share about a particular song a story you really like about how one of those came about you know they all have their own stories there you know I could I could speak on a, on a lot of them in, in different ways you know numb was a special song to me and that it's we wrote that very late in the evening and I just kind of started singing and saying kind of like seven minutes seven or eight minutes of lyrics and we kind of edited it down to what what it is so that one kind of fell out that was an interesting one you know I could speak of like a maybe hollow hallelujah you know that was a song that was let's talk about something that was written after we kind of knew we were looking to do a record so i remember i got a phone call from jesse frazier the night before i had nothing the next day he said would you want to jump in on a right there's gonna be three people there's three of us and i see he said i'll call you tomorrow if it, if it works out and i said okay so at this time I, it was just a it was a right i didn't know who what for whatever just said you know i've been doing it every day so no big deal I don't get a call the next day, so I just decide it's not going to happen. 11 o'clock rolls by, and I don't show up. And I guess he just assumed that I was going to show up. And he calls and says, hey, are you going to come over to the to the right? And I was like, but I, sorry, I didn't know that we are doing it. He says, well, we got this girl, Amy Wodge, you know, wrote a bunch of stuff with with uh, Ed Sheeran. And um, sorry, my daughter's trying to call me. I'll call her back. Anyway, <laughs> I... I to, to shorten this a little bit, decided that it was, you know, I was, I was too late. I wasn't going to hold up the right by, you know, making them wait on me. I was still home, hadn't left yet. So he goes, no problem. You know, he hangs up the phone. Uh, Sarah Buxton calls back 30 seconds later. Says, Dan, we're not going to start without you because we're going to write a song with you for you. You were out, you're on your way. I know. So it doesn't matter if you get here in one hour, three hours, that's when we'll start. So there you go. We're not giving you a choice. So happy you can make it Bye. and hangs up the like I had no say so. <laughs> so I show up, um, I show up and, uh, they had just started working on a little bit of a track, like the music of, of what it was. And, um, it's, <laughs> it was funny. Like I try, I had been writing a lot of music. I remember at that point in time. And I remember when I sat down, I didn't really know, you know, what's the, but they had had this, had the, the line hollow hallelujah, which I kind of dug. And I remember what my thought process was going into that, right. And I spit out, I think a lot of that first verse, haven't had much time for myself, let alone my friends. They love me in spite of me. Thank God they're there. I mean, when that line was born out of them, out of Sarah saying, we're not taking no for an answer. And that's all I could think of. They love me. Like I tried to miss the right. They love me in spite of me. Thank God they're there. So that's not, you know, the way it was born was just one of those that made me just helped give me confidence that everything on this record was just meant to be like the way it all unfolded was a really natural, you know, if it's forgive the, the, if it's cliche or not, I don't even know, but it was very organic. It just kind of, it, it was born really out of innocence that we were just writing music and, and realized, you know, a good, a good deal of the way through that we, we had a theme and, uh, you know, uh, as far as hollow hallelujah, it's one of those songs that we felt like, encompassed you know kind of the emotion and the feel of that record and that was it was fun to work on one that i felt like was going to be for me instead of a, the bulk of the record having no idea that it was for me until i was done with it 
that is that is a really really cool story now i know i hate to say we're over time but i really have to know i have to compliment you on something that we did i do two sites i do my own show and then i work for a, a music review site i don't know if they sent over the article i did after gramercy but i mean i have never heard and please take this as a compliment because some people they think this is weird I have never heard somebody who sang perfectly and sounded as they do on the record as much as you do. And I'm the, I don't mean, I don't mean just, Oh, it's his voice. I mean like every intonation, every little twang, every little turn of the word. If it's a repeated phrase, you sing it the same way live as it is on the record with, with the inflection and and the turn of the twang. It's how, how, and this is no. I will say this is the first time that I really have consciously made sure I'm doing what I do on the record because I think what's different about this record for me is that all the that all those working parts have to come together to make it what it is. Like most of my life, what I've done, you know, the records leaned a lot on instrumental freedom and, and and you know someone's prowess on their instrument and what they play and the merging of different solos and instrument. You know, a lot of music. This is all. These are all messages that I believe have to be delivered a certain way, and, and I felt like they were delivered correctly on the record. So in the process of having to learn this stuff, I really do uh, try very hard to sing them the way I sing them. On the, I mean, I take a couple liberties to uh, save my voice on uh, a few of the few of the high notes. I think there are a couple places, but I'm so conscious, even the places where I'm cheating them, um, that I, I, I do. I try to really, I really do try to make it like the record, yes. Is there, and again, this is another compliment to ingenuity. I'm not saying you're cheating, but given the technical nature of the record, is there stuff in the microphone that doesn't affect your voice, but affects reverb, affects affects the, the technology? Because we do hear that full sound from that record. I mean, is there another guy playing the technology of the, of the microphone and of the speakers as much as you guys are singing and, and playing your instruments? I'm very curious because well, that... Yeah. I'm just, yeah, this, I'm going to just stop and say yes, because this is one of the things I found like when I started write, writing with Jesse Frazier. Like, I have never, I've never seen, like, this is so weird. This is one of the reasons I think this, this stuff worked, and we clicked as, a, as, a, as writing partners, and then, you know, later as recording partners. I've never sang songs so quickly and had them sound like, even in my headphones, like they sound on the record, like I got to actually hear them, like he, all the effects, like what he did behind the scenes was something that I couldn't do. I mean, I can stand there and sing, but I cannot run the equipment and do what, what Jesse did. I thought he was just brilliant in that, I, you know, I sing typically everything pretty dry. And the most I would ever put on a vocal of mine is a reverb, you know, just to have a little bit of, you know, juice to, for it to sweeten it up a little Man, the stuff that was on my voice while I sang a lot of this record, I mean, it's the stuff you hear on it, on the recording. It was a really strange process for me, but most of it was like one or two takes. Like, it was when he heard something he liked, we never even stopped to listen. We just literally moved on, and I trusted him. Now, mind you, most of this was because I thought I was singing demos. I had no <laughs> idea. It, go on. it was like, but unbeknown to me that they were going to be finished vocals on a record. It's crazy. So that... it was... It was it was strange. Yeah, there's you know he's doing all kinds of uh, uh, stuff that I have no idea what it even is. <laughs> I love it. Fucking delays and all kinds of no. It's really it's just yeah. It's, it's uh, 
I had to come. That was one of my first compliments to him. I think I said, "You play the hell out of your instrument." <laughs> he said, "Well, I don't do that guitar stuff. I don't do this." I said, "Listen," I said, "You need to go no farther than that keyboard." I said, "You're the man." That's crazy. Is he on tour with you doing the effects live? Oh no, Jesse's. You know, I mean, he's he has a lot of irons in the fire. He 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 writes with a lot of people, records for a lot of people. He's he's such a busy guy. He runs, you know, um, at least one very busy company. He's uh, I'm lucky to get Jesse on this. That's really really cool. Last thing I'll say is that live version of of Hey Brother. I need that on a recording of some kind because you pl- you play down the trumpets and you play up the banjo and I <laughs> I want to hear that in yeah, I think <laughs> you should go in the studio and if you do a southern gothic deluxe just have that be the bonus track cuz that was really cool. <laughs> oh, awesome. Huh? You you got it. I will keep that one in mind. That would be fun. It would, I have I this I it's not it's it's everything and we consider everything. That's right. Well, Dan Tominski, this was a pleasure, and I'm so glad we were going to sit down, if you had had the time, we were going to sit down before the show, but I'm actually glad that I got to see the live show and hear the record and talk to you about both. Thank you so much. This was excellent. Hey, my pleasure. I really do appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Dan, I always, always enjoy talking with you. Now, I don't want to jinx this, but I do want to say this definitively. Later this year, when Southern Gothic becomes a Grammy nominee, Please come back, and of course, I wish you all the success on the road. Everyone go visit TominskiMusic.com, and once again, that's T-Y-M-I-N-S-K-I Music.com. That's it for us today. I know it has been a while since we had an episode, and I truly hope it won't be that long again. It's no excuse, but I've been so busy with other projects that, I mean, I can schedule in these interviews just fine, but finding the time to sit down, write these prompters, and do all the other uh, production work that I need to get a final product out, that takes a while. It's no excuse because this is my passion project. I've been doing it for five years. You guys love it, and I love doing it, and it is the anchor to everything I do in my career, and I do hope to be back up to a weekly schedule very, very soon, and you guys will be the first to know if you are following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And of course, you can reach me at talkfor2cast at gmail.com. That's my email address. I don't have any assistants that do anything. It's all me, one-man operation, and it has been since the beginning. And thanks again to our season sponsors, Axtel Expressions and the Tangent Bound Network. Signing off, I'm Matt Bailey, reminding everyone out there to keep talking for two. You can hear more show business interviews with the stars at talkfor2.com.